Andy is back from Safari, and eh, it's not like he missed a lot. There's so much to discuss with Andy Martino back with us on this episode of the Shane Anything Podcast, and it starts right now. All right, welcome to the show, everybody. It's Doug Williams and Andy Martino with you. A reminder to subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast wherever you're listening, Apple or Spotify or wherever. And Chain Anything's brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. And once again, Baseball Night in New York, you can catch Andy and myself 6 o'clock on weeknights on SNY. This week, though, with the 640 starts down in Miami, we're going to be on at 530, so you can catch us there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Hello, Andy. Welcome back. Thank you. We haven't done a lot of shows together between this and that and the other thing over the past couple of weeks. So I'm happy to be. It's fall. It's post Labor Day. And here we are both in the saddle. I know. How about that? Did you have a good vacation? I did. Thank you. It was split up by um, pre. uh, Well, there was part one of the vacation, which was very relaxing. And part two, which was every time I leave my room, I miss 10 calls about whatever the bleep the Mets are up to that day uh so I was as much as I did was I was in uh I was plugged out of games deleted all my apps from my phone and Twitter and stuff uh news apps um the Mets found me in a big way I was well aware and on top of what was going on starting with the thumbs down and into some worse things so you people knew you were on vacation I'm not even talking about SNY like but you were plugged in with sources that you wanted to be talking to to about those things yeah i was talking to sources as they were happening because um it was just this stuff was just too big to not so i was you know it's we're we're got if you're going to report on a team you're a gossip too so you want to know what's going on what people think about it and um you know so i I, i'm able to speak to some what was going on even though i was that's good in real time it's good for the sake of the podcast and putting myself in your shoes i get it because you know, when you go on vacation, you can kind of watch the recaps and read box scores for the games. But in your job, you mm-hmm. can't you can't replicate what it's like to talk to people during a story and as it's breaking and the feel yeah. for the inside scoop. Um, you can't really just make That's that right. work up. So those are when the real emotions come out. That's exactly. when. Like later is the spin and the cleanup, but when stuff's going on is when you hear what people really think. So that's right. And, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to be, it's, it's always a privilege to be able to be someone who talks to people who are involved in these things. So there, we've chosen a line of work where there are no true vacations. There there are like sort of tentative vacations. Um, Okay. So I want to, um, I want to start with what I'm most curious to hear. Andy, which is that I know you have a column coming out. Um, I won't give it away in my question, but you have a column coming out uh, about, you know, Mets front office. And I know that one of the things that you're referencing is the Zach Scott alleged DWI um, in White Plains. Um, And I'm sure that 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 was something. Oh, I didn't know that. I, (laughs) I I thought I grew up in New York State. So I heard DWI my whole life. And then I started hearing DUI elsewhere. I was like, what's that? And then I found out they're both bad. They are both bad. Um, where do you see now that Zach Scott is on uh, administrative leave? Where do you see the Mets front office as high up as Sandy Alderson? And as, you know, as that trickles down, where do you see them going with it? 
Yeah, a lot of questions. And you're right. I'm not sure exactly when I'm writing what I'm writing because I want to make sure I have all my ducks in a row with something that important. But um, it's it's not a cop out. It might sound like a cop out, but things are very uncertain right now uh, in terms of the Sandy Alderson administration. Look, he remains under contract. Obviously, there's been some ugly stuff that's gone on. People that he's hired this year. Um, he was he, he was never supposed to be in charge of baseball operations as he is right now, again, uh, as he was after Jared Porter was let go for, uh, for harassment. So to, to predict it, that Sandy at age 73, I believe, could transition over to overseeing, say, the business side or something that's not as much in the day-to-day was the plan anyway. Uh, now we're going to have to see how it plays out with the complication with Zach Scott, because he was on track to have a prominent position in baseball operations, uh, perhaps general manager under a president of baseball operations. Um, but that wasn't a sure thing. Now I'm talking pre DWI, that whole transition wasn't a sure thing because there were some people in the organization, prominent roles who felt that a president of baseball operations was not necessary. And they really had a point because you have an organization that you built. Sandy Alderson and Zach Scott have started to put it together. They've hired all kinds of analytics and R&D people and coaches and player development. And if you bring in, say, Chris Antonetti or Theo Epstein or any of these kind of big names that Steve Cohen has been fishing for, you start from scratch. You change the whole organization all over again in all these ways that have nothing to do with controversy or thumbs up or thumbs downs or DWIs just has to do with the infrastructure you put in place and and started with this organization, blow it up all over again because a new president's going to want to remake it in their image. So that was kind of the push and pull. Can Zach Scott just run baseball? He's doing a perfectly good job. Or do you need a president of baseball ops? Then Zach, of course, gets arrested, uh, charged with DWI. So you have a leadership problem there because this is somebody who has to be accountable to the players who just told players that they were, I'm sure this is ground you covered thoroughly while I was gone, but just told players that they weren't taking care of themselves and their bodies. And the Baez Lindor thing had just happened. And now the leader ends up in a compromising position. So what I can tell you is there was no rush to fire him as there was Jared Porter the day that that happened. Uh, Porter was a, an overnight, if you remember that story broke late at night one night, Alderson and Cohen, and they were thinking about it and agonizing over it and talking about it and fired him in the morning. It wasn't going to go that way with Zach Scott. It's a different kind of offense, a serious one, uh, but something that they want to be deliberate about because they do think he's good at his job. Uh, having said that, it's a failure of leadership to get arrested for drunk driving. Uh, so there's a lot in the stew there. Um, and that's kind of the general temperature of things right now. Before this arrest, Zach Scott was almost certainly going to be a GM or some equivalent position. Now, I still think he could have a future with the organization. I do. Uh, but also, that's being weighed. Does more come out about the incident? Does, does Steve Cohen, whose decisions these are, does he think of it differently. We've known him to be a little impulsive, at least digitally. So would he 
one day decide, no, nah, we can't have this possible. So that's kind of the lay of the land. So along those lines of Steve Cohen's role in this, Andy, in the middle of your answer, you said the Antonettis and Epstein's of the world are the people that he's been fishing for. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about pre-Alderson hire or are you talking about right now? Post-Alderson hire. So if you recall, uh, they were looking for a president of baseball ops and a GM initially, right? Uh, they couldn't get permission to interview some of the people who they wanted to interview. Chris Antonetti, I think, was one of them uh, at that time. Uh, Eric Neander in Tampa, you know, people like that to come in and be the president of baseball ops, the Bloom of the of the Mets, and then you hire a GM under them. Now, the Red Sox have a GM. Just no one talks about him because it's Bloom's team. So that was going to be the structure of the Mets. If you, right. remember, if you remember now, after a few weeks of that, Alderson and Cohen agreed to change that search, just search for a general manager, right? Uh, forget about the president of baseball ops. So they hired Jared Porter. They hired Zach Scott as the assistant GM. Uh, uh, Alderson was going to mentor those two guys to become eventually president and GM probably. Ascend it, train into those roles. We know what happened with Jared Porter. It all got scrambled. So you get into the season, and Cohen is still interested, I'm told, in having that president of baseball ops, that big name guy, whoever that might be. Um, but he's new to the sport, and pre DWI, it didn't necessarily seem necessary the way the Mets were already running and underway. I understand they've had a disappointing second half, but as I've said, they just spent months building a structure under Alderson and Scott. It sounds sort of exhausting to blow that up and let someone else run it like in November now. Right. Uh, but so go can ahead. I, quick, quick clarification. We're both Porter and Scott, former disciples of Epstein. They have worked under him. Yes. Okay. So you could, so, I don't, yes, they're in his coaching tree. Right. Um, so do you think that in order for that, I guess that was a separate point that I just wanted to clarify in my head, because I mm-hmm. think it would be interesting to replace say Sandy Alderson with Theo Epstein when Theo the Epstein already hired was exactly the guy who had already hired and Jared Porter and had right. already hired Zach Scott. Not that, you know, you could have predicted what Zach Scott did, like you could have with Jared Porter, totally different situation. But if you're going to say Sandy should have known, it's only fair to say Theo should have known. Exactly. Yeah. So um, that goes into the next question I would ask you, which is if you are going to hire Antonetti, uh, Epstein, Stearns, any, any of these guys, right? Does that, does that mean then that you're talking about the exhaustion of a new regime and face of the Mets front office and hierarchy. Here we go again. Yeah. Would that mean Alderson would be gone? I don't know about gone, but remember he was always supposed to be the team president. So he could still be that, uh, you know, that's not someone who's in every baseball operations discussion or even most of them, right. That's someone who's running business communications, um, uh, community outreach, every, everything you're running, um, running the organization, right? So Sandy could go back to doing that or he could transition over into the business side entirely. Sort of depends who they hire if they if they make a hire. Zach Scott's behavior and Jared Porter's behavior 
kind of gives Cohen an excuse to wipe the deck clean without bad PR. It would have been the good, it would have been the right, right, excuse me. It would have been the win, the PR win the morning after Zach Scott's arrest to fire. And we we'll go, yeah, good job cleaning up the culture. But the problem is he's pretty good. So that, that these are all the things they have to do. Reminder, the Shane Anything is brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Um, okay, I want to move ahead to the on-the-field stuff, Andy, because I think there was a point last week where I would have thought that the on-the-field stuff would be an afterthought because, I will say, it's mostly because of the Mets' schedule. They're kind of like statistically back in it, sort of, kind of. They're still going to have to win a lot, a lot, a lot of the games left in order to have anything to do with the playoff spot. However, um, there are still some interesting topics and some interesting players to talk about. So let's do a three batter rule and we'll start with Edwin Diaz. So earlier in the season, you and I talked about him extensively. It was like, uh, yikes, I, I think maybe the experiment is uh, mm-hmm. is over. So it's not like that, you know, he'd been pretty good for a while there, but there weren't a lot of high leverage saves and he blew two games this weekend. And, you know, the Mets lost two out of the five games to the nationals. It felt like they really had to win all of them. If maybe lose one, what do you do now? I mean, what do you do going into an off season with him? How do you proceed with this player? If you could trade him, trade him, right? I mean, come on already. Like enough agonizing debates over whether he can make it in New York and people know you're stupid. He's got great stuff. No, you're stupid. He's doesn't have the head for New York. Can we just like clear the deck and move on? If, if I have to cover a new GM and, and get used to that, I, I'd like to cover a new closer at least who doesn't change games late and, and make our job more complicated. No, like Diaz is Diaz, right? We know how great his stuff is. We know how often he's ineffective see what you can get for him that's my that that's what i think what do you think i mean i think i agree about to get more expensive too i'm sorry to interrupt but about to get more expensive you mean with team control yeah arbitration years and whatnot yeah i mean look i i don't know what the mets would be able to get for him it i feel like it could surprise me with how much they could get for him or how little um Mm-hmm. because I think other teams would say, you know, why would we overpay for somebody who we know has been clearly ineffective in big spots for you? I could also see a smaller market team being like, I want this guy. I can fix him. You know, our mm-hmm. pitching coach is a guru. He can figure it out. Um, but I'll tell you what, like, I think watching Chapman and Diaz in this town this year has been mm-hmm. such a fascinating examination in terms of the importance of that role but also just how hard it is to be really good at it. Like it's just impossible. And I, I, again, I do this every so often. I just look at um, Mariana Rivera's baseball reference and you're just blown away by the consistency and it just doesn't exist. Um, So I just, I think we get caught up in the Diaz thing because it was such a big trade. Like if it had been a one-off and a prospect that no one had ever heard of and the Mets got him, uh, without Robinson Cano's contract attached. And it was just like, I, I think it would be less of a story. I mean, closers are always a story, but it would be less of one. The fact that he came over in the fashion that he did is a big part of it. I just don't think the Mets are that special for having closing issues. Well, you that's know, a great point. That's a great just, point. It's so common yeah. and it's just very high profile here. 
but it's just it's everywhere. You're I mean, you're 100. You're right. It's very rational. But can can maybe the Mets? It's, maybe it's just time to do it with someone. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. At all. I mean, it's just for the sake of him, the team, the fan base, yeah. us, our sanity. Um, he could go yeah. somewhere else and, and thrive. He's a change potential change of scenery guy, sure. But that's so, so make a trade you feel confident about. Chris Antonetti, the OFC, whoever's making a trade. Their, he's the rare change of scenery guy who didn't need a change of scenery. Like maybe he just needed to be in Seattle for the right. rest of his career. Maybe. Um, by the way, I. I guess I just you jokingly mentioning Antonetti or Epstein. I feel like I left a little bit of meat on that bone and I'll get to the three batter rule in a second. Okay. Do you think there's a legitimate chance the Mets hire either one of those two? Uh, yeah. Is that, yeah. does that have something to do with the column that you're writing a little bit later? No, today? look, I'm not trying to be cute. I'm just trying to get my ducks in a row. As I said before saying anything in, in SNY social uh, clips this off and says, Andy says they're going to hire one of these guys or something. Don't do Max, leave it in make the long that the form headline. podcast. Don't clip make it. Make that the headline. Don't clip way, it. Have you ever noticed in ev- almost every single promotional clip that we tweet, I am not talking. And I'm starting to wonder, am I just, am I that boring? Like, two things. You know what I need? I no. need to become more of like a hot take artist, I think. No, I no think here's the, what it is. You ask good questions and I talk too much. That combination <laughs> leads to what you've described. Uh, maybe, maybe my role is, you know, strictly facilitator. I'm, I'm John Stockton. My job is not to, you know, not to shoot, not to score, but, you know, to set people up. That's right. You are, you, well, you're one of our, we've had some good point guards at SNY and I do dare say that you might be one of the very best. And there well, we that's go. That's kind. a good analogy. That's why um, I brought this up. I wanted a compliment. You wanted to lead to that. It was in the script actually. I shouldn't yeah. have said this that, is though. all scripted. I'm reading yes. off a teleprompter. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Look, those are the kind of guys that the owner has been interested in. Um, I, I would leave it at that. I actually don't want to go too far hyping up the Theo thing because you hear a lot of different things about Theo, many of which are that this whole thing is being talked about a lot more than, than it should be. Um, it's sort of like, you remember when the Mets and the Cubs were going to trade like a pitcher for position player for five years? It's like a mar- like a arranged marriage. Like, well, they got to trade Wheeler or Syndergaard for Starlin Castro or, you know, Chris Bryant. Remember all that? It was like, it's yeah. got to happen. I was going to compare, I was going to compare it to, um, like Bill Cowher in the NFL, he was in the media and didn't have a head coaching job for like every, every off season for five years, it was, are the giants or whoever had a vacancy going to hire Bill Cowher? Nobody did because he like, didn't want to do it. And the teams didn't want like, you know, it's maybe, maybe as the years go by, there's a reason that things don't happen. Yeah. Um, so the other of the three batter, and, and if you want to work your opinions or any thoughts that you have on the thumbs down thing that you were away for in the midst of doing this, you can. But I want to talk Javi Baez more so because, um, look, he's had a you can't script a more fascinating tenure as a player post deadline than he's had. He's mm-hmm. red hot right now. He shows you every day why he's sometimes a headache and sometimes maybe the most talented player some of us have ever witnessed. Um, But there's this kind of like, you got the looming free agency coming off of the thumbs down, the apology that was more of the like, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry if you were offended 
you know, what you're not yeah. supposed to say. Is your read between the Yankees and the Mets that they they saw that and they as organizations they were really cringing like oh definitely. gosh you you cannot do that like they definitely. they really thought that was an important thing that happened definitely the re- I mean the only reason I'm not saying Baez will not play for the Mets next year is because I can't say anything with certainty when I've just told you that I'm not exactly sure who's going to be running the Mets next year. And we know that the owner can be impulsive, uh, digitally at least. He runs, seems to run a good business, but, you know, so we'll see. But I, I just, I don't see it because, yes, it was taken very seriously in those front offices. It's not that Man. they have a um, moral objections and thumbs downs. It's just bad business. And it shows there's, there's a constant agonizing thing that those Yankees and Mets front offices always have to go through is, Will this guy be bothered by New York, which is not a media narrative. It's a real thing. It's happened to um, remember Javi Vasquez, the terrific pitcher who can never be a Yankee and um, plenty of Mets over the years, Jason Bay, et cetera, et cetera. Like there are people that, and I know Jason, I love Jason Bay as a guy, um, good person, but I know that like when the media relations would try to get him out to talk after a bad game, he would not want to do it. He'd be like, no, he's just low key. And New York was part of the issue there. I know he played in Boston, but what can I say? It, it, it didn't work in New York. There are people who it doesn't work in New York. So if you get a strong clue that something plays that badly in this market, I mean, Lindor pretty much uh, identified himself that way, except that he's already on a contract. So what are you going to do? Uh, but Baez isn't. Yeah, obviously. It makes, doesn't it make the conversations we had so fascinating before the Mets signed Lindor long-term? We were talking about, do you capitalize on uh, a free agent year and let this, you know, it's going to be a week of bad press. Why didn't you sign him? Why didn't you sign Mm -hmm. him? But then you have a, it'll blow over and you have a year of a guy with a lot to prove and you see how he plays here. Mm -hmm. And looking back, it's like, man, (laughs) that was the right, that was the the right, that was the move. That was the point of view. And look, I mean, he could hit 320 next year with 30 bombs and a hundred ribbies and the Mets could win the world series. And then suddenly, you know, we sound like idiots again, but uh, man, it, it, to not have a read on how I said this a couple of weeks ago to not, foresee that Mr. Smile would have a hard time when times were tough in New York was probably my bad and, and some other people's bats with checkbooks. Yeah. Um, I didn't know he was going to have a tough time, like behaviorally in New York. I just thought that why would you invest before you've seen if it's a fit? So right. yeah, I didn't predict that. Um, neither did you, neither did almost anyone. He did well at first in the way he presented himself uh, and, and might, might again, I, I, he's a guy who strikes people around him as pretty special as a person. Right. I want to note that. And that's I remember that conversation you, you said you had with Dom Smith where yeah, yeah. he, yeah. he was like, this is the guy we want back because we all feed off of him. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. So you got to listen. Yeah. One has to listen to that, but, and I wouldn't want to be booed either. I mean, no, I, uh, but you just, it's, I actually have some empathy for that. Um, it's the same reason why anytime somebody, says something to me that I feel is inappropriate. I quietly blocked them on Twitter because I, I, I don't want to have that to be part of my life. I just don't want it. I don't feel like it's my obligation to have it. Um, so I understand where those guys are coming from in that, but I mean, I guess I quietly blocked them rather than like type out, like you're a stupid idiot. 
which is kind of but what they did. <laughs> would you say, because I, I wax poetic, got on my soapbox, whatever, about negativity and its role in everybody's life and, and how there, you know, there needs to be some constructive criticism in your life in order for it to be a healthy mm-hmm. one. You're not blocking out any and everybody with something to say. Like me? Yeah. Like no, if I do. somebody I says, I do. If some, so if anybody says anything negative, they're gone. Yeah. But just quietly like block and move on because here's my thing. I don't, as you know, I don't want to have a Twitter account. I, I think that having negativity accessible on my phone is not good for mental health or anything. So if se- the second anyone says anything, I don't want to see that person is blocked. And I feel like that's my right. Because it, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to participate in Twitter. I'm just trying to do the bare minimum because I, I need to do it to spread news that I gather. But I don't want to see that stuff. So my point is, I get where those guys are coming from, but I think there's two differences. There, it, that's why I'm not trying to come down on these guys. Like I, I understand that some of the people booing you are real mean people, and they're probably saying mean things that haven't been repeated to us, and it's really unpleasant. Two things. One, I don't do a re. I just the blocking is different from like putting the thumbs down thing is like insulting your customer, uh, like way out there. So it's a little different. And also, I hate to be hey they get paid the big bucks, but man do they get paid the big bucks, and that's part of the job in a little bit of a different way than a lot of people. So yeah, it's a it's a fascinating point in conversation. I mean. I, I hate to say this without knowing for sure, but I believe I read in, in Forbes or somewhere that with the signing bonus and Lindor's scheduled salary. So when his new contract kicks in, I think as soon as the season's over and the deal that he's making in the last year of his uh, arbitration with Cleveland, he's making, I think, a total of $43 million, which means he's making, I believe, around $100,000 a day. Mm-hmm. So that should make things a little easier and there has to be an awareness of like, okay, I'm very different. I'm in a very different situation from everybody else. But uh, I do think you you make a fair point about the place that negativity has and you're like, you don't want to be there anyway. So for someone to make it any more of an unpleasant experience than it already is gone. And that's not, you Um, mentioned constructive criticism. That's not where constructive criticism is offered. Obviously I take that from my, friends and colleagues, not from. No, but I feel like I've seen people who, you know, are, are being not unkind to you who disagree with something you say and you respond to them. Like that's what I'm usually if someone's reasonable. Sure. But more and more in my life, I'm trying to make that not a place where I have any conversations because I think that's better net net better to not have any conversations. But um, anyway, enough enough about me. Um, So Wait, there was something I wanted to say about this to the point you're making about Lindor. Um, I lost it. Keep talking. So Pete Alonso's last of the three battery. Yes. Can I, I'm sorry. He, he's involved in this too. Can I make a quick point? It's about uh, my friend Tyler Kepner in the New York Times wrote a great column after the thumbs down thing. And Pete Alonso was his lead in the column. And he was using Alonso's quotes uh, from a few weeks prior to that about how, Hey, everybody, it's going to be fine. Don't be so negative. And then, uh, Stroman's tweets and how Stroman and Pilar were actually cursing at fans in the aftermath of the thumbs down before Alderson's statement. I think, um, I'm a little fuzzy on that timeline, but didn't Pilar say like a, a curse word, if you don't know, 
about yeah at, at one fan yeah and Strowman I think retweeted it anyway so Tyler did this great job he rarely does a takedown and when he does it's really effective because he picks his spots and it was just like so these Mets for some reason everyone's a hater if they're not completely on board with just how great you are and I'm 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 paraphrasing Tyler read the column go look it up if you haven't yet but it's about this, this team has a culture where it seems like Lindor and his aversion to booing is a big part of this where it's just like, you can't hate on us. You can't criticize us. We're immune to it. Um, and it's just, that's not a productive way to look at, at it. If you're a New York athlete. And I understand that might come across as a little bit contrary or even hypocritical to what I just said about my own Twitter account. Um, but I do think we have different jobs, me and them. When you were gone, did you by any chance read or see what Gary Cohen said about that on the air? No. I'm going to read it to you quickly, a very short part of it. But he said, he's talking about the players. They see less of the media. They see less of the fans. They're mostly amongst each other. And I think it becomes really easy at a certain point for, in a group dynamic, that clubhouse, to look at the situation as it's us against the world and all those other people out there, whether it's the vitriol on Twitter or whether it's measured criticism of the media or the fans is all people who hate us. And all we have is us. And I think that is the part of how we got here. Similar to the point that Tyler's making. Um, yeah. But it's, it's interesting. But anyway, back to Pete. So in terms of the player, Andy, I feel like we've learned a lot about him this year. Um, you know, he may not hit 50 home runs every year. He's not Aaron judge. He's not, uh, a great defensive first baseman. Um, but what he is, is probably a consistent power hitter for your team long-term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, Max put this in the, in the, uh, in the rundown that in 2019 brave signed Acuna eight year, hundred million dollar deal, which he probably is very angry about. Um, even though he's well-paid, he should be mm-hmm. making a lot more money than that. If you're the Mets, do you consider locking the guy up thinking that you have uh, close to a guarantee with 35, 40 home run a year guy? Maybe production wise. Yeah. Uh, we like him as a player. Uh, you and I do. And, and everything you said is true about he's proven himself. I think this year in a way to, to be the real thing. Um, I would be real careful about any long-term commitments right now, given what I just said about their culture issues. Uh, I think a lot needs to change with the makeup of this team. And Alonzo has not been uh, himself without some incident in this, including the comments I just referenced. This wasn't terrible, but it's just part of an attitude. You, you know what I thought was not part of that, too, when Alonzo made up the Donnie Stevenson thing earlier in the season? Chili Davis, uh, Alonzo said he cried at his locker when they fired Chili Davis. Chili Davis said, you know, the Donnie Stevenson thing probably didn't help. And Alonzo was asked about this. I'm not talking about it. And then, like, a few months later, there were funny Donnie Stevenson videos. It just seems like, well, why can't you just say thoughtfully how that might have affected unintentionally what happened to this guy that you really like and you were sad that he got fired? It's just like there's certain dots that haven't been connected there uh, with Alonzo in some of those ways. And I think it's part, he would be part of what I'm talking about with the Mets. He's a good guy. Don't get me wrong. There's just something there that's very us against the world. And he's a big part of their culture. So I would just want to really be careful and really, if I'm them, I really want to think about what they can do, what they should be doing with their clubhouse culture going forward. Alonzo should probably be part of that. I'm just saying like careful here because he's part of what's going on now and what's going on now is certainly flawed. 
But, it, you know, it's what the point you're making isn't just about Pete, Andy. It's about the leadership around him. And yeah. I think that's part of why Lindor is the center of all of this, because he was supposed to be that guy. You're paying him to be that guy. And, and you know, he if you, you referenced your conversation or I did about with Dom Smith about him, clearly the players view him as a leader. And, you know, where's Louis Rojas in this? Where's the manager? Where, you know, it's okay. Yeah, Pete can be immature. Some of the things he says publicly aren't in tune with how the fan base feels. The Donnie Stevenson thing w- was toned up. But where's the the David Wright? Um, well, he's you know, rare and it, special. Good point. I know. And, and it just doesn't exist right now. That's what I feel like they need. And Pete yeah. is a you know, can be really uh, empathetic and, and says and does a lot of the right things. Um, I think sometimes he needs to be steered and that's all. Um, yeah. It's probably yeah, just yeah. as harmless as that. I think he's, a, yeah, again, I think he's a good, interesting, thoughtful person in a lot of ways, but um, you're certainly right how much the Mets miss the David Wright. It's been a while, obviously, since he was consistent presence there, but I also think, and I'm going to criticize Luis Rojas here, which uh, might surprise you, but I think if the, if if the if the players are running the show in there, if you know the cliche would be the in- inmates running the asylum, which is probably a little harsh, but or maybe not. But uh, well, look, you got to look at, at a manager there too. So yep. I think there's, absolutely that's the first. I'm resistant to a lot of in-game criticism of Rojas, but he he is part of what's going on. He's supposed to be the leader. And so Zach Scott, and he's off getting arrested. There's a lot of issues here. I don't want to just put it on players. Just a reminder, subscribe to the Shane Things podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you're listening. We appreciate it. Another reminder, the Shane Things brought to you by Verizon. It's 5G built right for the Mets from the network. More people rely on only on Verizon. Andy, great to have you back. I'm sure we'll be talking on Baseball Night in New York this week and Shane Things once again next week. So, um, thanks for doing this as always. And everybody, thank you for listening. We'll talk to you later this week with Jerry Blevins.